So, Aaron, where were you on December 8th, 1980? What were you doing? I was coming home from work. I used to work at Hilltop, Texaco in Whitby. And I got home and a friend called me because they had just heard it on the uh, Howard Cassell, the football game. And uh, that's where I was. How about you? Well, I was at home, um, but my parents told me. I remember very clearly my mom coming into the room and, and letting me know. And of course, we're talking about the day that John Lennon died. For a certain generation, ours, uh, that day is etched in our memories. And for a generation after ours, April 8th, 1994 is etched in theirs. So we should go on a road trip to Seattle. What do you think? Yeah, I think so. I think we got, have you ever had coffee in Seattle? Because I have and it's quite good. I have only driven through Seattle. I've never stopped. I've had oh. coffee in Portland, but never in Seattle. So, Oh, Portland coffee is... Mm. No, let's go to Seattle. Okay, sounds good. Maps? Check. Snacks? Double check. Tunes? Check. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. And we are cruising the rock and roll highway in our Wayback Music Machine. Are you ready, my friend? I sure am. I have the feeling this is going to be the start of a great adventure. Kind of a magical mystery tour. Somehow I knew you were going to say that. So to travel back in time to Seattle in uh, 94, we're going to have to dial that into the radio. So we'll need to punch in uh, 199.4. Can you do that? 199... Point four. Got it. All right, let's see what we get. Those old commercials last week from 1956 were hilarious, but let's see what we get from 1994. Sounds good. Uh, well, uh, it was a rainy day in Pizzaville when we received several angry letters from the general public. Pizzaville's central phone number is 7363636, but it seems that some listeners thought I was saying 7 Free sex, free sex, free sex. Pizzaville does not condone free sex, except among consenting adults. But, to make amends to those listeners who thought they heard seven free sex, free sex, free sex, Pizzaville will give you a free topping of hot Italian sausage on your next Pizzaville pizza. Because maybe you need a little more spice in your life. (laughs) So, whether it's a sunny day or a rainy day, Call Pizzaville at 7363636, not 7363636. Pizzaville, better tasting pizza at a conglomerate price. What a great commercial. You know, I remember that. I mean, I, re- I distinct, I love that commercial back in 94, and I love it still. It makes me giggle. Have you, do you have Pizzaville out where you are? No, we don't. Do you? Yeah, it's really good pizza. It's probably one of the best in terms of chain pizzas for me. And I, I'm i very fussy having eaten pizza in Chicago and New York. <laughs> yeah, I've had, I've had pizza in Chicago and New York too. But uh, okay, Which do you prefer? Which do you prefer? Um, Chicago. Really? The deep dish? The deep yeah. dish? Yeah. What about you? I like the uh, I like deep dish, but in, in Brooklyn you get the white pizza, they call it, with the big chunks of uh, not mozzarella, but the other kind of cheese. I like that one too, so. I'm, Ooh, I'm nice. Yeah, it's quite good. You ever had garlic knots? Just like no. Oh, no. Well, like when we go to New York to see Billy Joel, my treat. 
Okay, sounds good. Well, I, aren't we traveling to New York uh, today as well after we go to Seattle here? So we, that'll be great. Coast to coast tour, man. Coast to coast tour. All right. Well, look, it looks like we're coming to Seattle. April the 8th, 1994, a day that's etched in a lot of people's memories because that was the day that Kurt Cobain's body was found at his home in a room above his garage. He was found by an electrician. In, and, and for those of you, Kurt Cobain, of course, of Nirvana. That's right, lead singer of Nirvana. And it's it was ruled as a suicide. He was found with a shotgun and a suicide note. But boy, you talk about... Uh, controversy I you know I think there are a million theories and every single one of them kind of rules out suicide you know the only people who seem to be buying into the suicide are the uh, police and uh, but so many Courtney Love Courtney Love buys into the whole suicide thing trust me she does (laughs) well that's right that's right but uh, many many theories surrounding his death because um, people saying that the amount of drugs in his system uh would have been impossible for him to raise the shotgun like he did and other theories taking a look at the ink this has turned into a whole on the suicide, on the suicide note yeah mm-hmm. that, the, that the ink was uh, you know different pressure used to write the second part of the note and the handwriting looks slightly different and mm-hmm. uh, pretty nuts and uh, you know Alan Cross I love his podcast he actually did a two-parter all about uh, Kurt Cobain's death so after you're done listening to this one, folks, maybe go check out Alan Cross's, uh, what is it called? The History, Ongoing History of New Music. Yeah. Excellent, excellent show. But he did a two-parter on that. And uh, so many theories around Kurt Cobain's death. And what a mysterious guy. Well, I mean, the fact that, I mean, and also it was just after the the release, well, not, not just after, the, the third and final studio album by Nirvana was released in September of 1993, called A Neutral, In Utero. And it was number one, big album, huge. I mean, Nirvana made grunge what it was, right? So, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a mystery. I mean, the whole thing is a, and how Courtney Love figures into all this. And I don't want to say anything bad about Courtney because I think we'll get sued. But um, no. yes. <laughs> she's quite, she's quite, uh, quite the character. Well, and we don't have a lot of money left after spending it on this Wayback Music Machine, so please don't sue us. Please don't sue us. We're not saying Courtney did anything wrong. <laughs> um, but it was it was a moment for a lot of people. I mean, I remember seeing the scenes in the in the park in, in Seattle when they everyone gathered together and then they were playing Nirvana through the big speakers and, and um, for a lot. Of, I mean, I liked Nirvana. I don't know if you liked them at the time. I mean, I thought they were pretty decent, you know. But I did too. I wasn't a, a huge fan, but I liked them. My wife's my wife's brother, so my brother-in-law lives is, lives still in Seattle. And I used to we used to go and visit, and I I loved it because because Nirvana was signed to a label called Sub Pop, which was based in Seattle, and you know I pick up all these great forty fives of all these grunge bands, and the funny thing is, in one of the last interviews of Kurt Cobain's life, he hated the term grunge. No, he hated that term because he I don't think he saw it as he probably saw it as punk, um, but he was also a big Beatle fan tying it in um, he was a huge huge Beatle fan and, and uh, one of his favorite albums was Rubber Soul which is oh, weird yeah can you mention Nirvana doing in my life exactly <laughs> <laughs> there's a cover but, uh, version he you know there, were, there was also talk of him wanting to leave Nirvana at the time and uh, he had had uh, 
several run-ins with uh, addiction problems. And back in March, actually, when he was in Germany, he had overdosed pretty seriously, and they thought he was going to die then when uh, they sent him to Rome for treatment. But uh, he recovered and then came back to the States and... You know, this time uh, it took his life, but... Well, one of the theories, and you, you talked about the note, and if you, I, I read one conspiracy theory that said if you read the note without the second, the last part about, you know, I love you, I love you, I love you, it, it also reads as a goodbye letter to his band. It's like it's, he, he's giving excuses why he wants to leave Nirvana. That's Did right, it doesn't sound like a suicide note at all until the very end. Right, like the first part is all about, you know, like it's, it looks like he's saying, "I'm just, I'm done with this. I'm quitting the band. I'm going to go and, you know, on a farm or something." But it, it really does. When I when I reread the the text of it the other day, it looks like yeah, it just it, could, it doesn't read as a as a quote unquote suicide note until the very end. Well, and there was also the the police. You heard about the uh, phone call into the police, right, to report him missing? Did you? So. They thought it was Kurt's mother who had called the police to report him missing. It was actually Courtney impersonating his mother. She was impersonating. I'm sorry. She was impersonating her mother. His, his mother. mother. His mother. Yeah. Why would she, she called- impersonate? Why? Well, because she she called in to the police saying that it was Kurt's mother, and that she was worried about him, and that he was suicidal, and that he had a shotgun. Isn't that strange? That's, I didn't know that part. I didn't yeah. know that, that, that. I don't. I still don't. Why would she say I'm Kurt's wife? I'm out of town. I mean, that doesn't make. And I do know she hired a private detective who went there the night before, on April the seventh, with mm-hmm. some alleged friend of Kurt Cobain's, and they looked everywhere except where Kurt was was found. Which was well, that's right. Well, the conspiracy theorists say that the reason that she called it in is because she wanted to set up a narrative of him being suicidal, you know, to try to, uh, and because the, the conspiracy theories say that, you know, she was involved in his killing, right? So um, having the mother call in and say, oh, he's suicidal, he's got a shotgun, lent credence to the, to the suicide note, and the, but very, very odd. I, I don't know what to make of his death for sure. Well, you know, it's unlike, I mean, it, it, because it's suicide, there's always that mystery, could it be around it, right? You know, other, if he had died because he overdosed on heroin, it would have made more sense, given the fact that, as you say, in Germany, he had, he had overdosed either by accident or on purpose. But, you know, a lot of, look at Hendrix, who's also from Seattle, he OD'd, right? And, and mm-hmm. Joplin. And, at the uh, same age, at 27. 27, well, 27, right? And Jim Morrison. Yes. 27. And... Amy Winehouse. Amy Winehouse. 27. The 27 Club. But, I mean, going back to Kurt Cobain, it, 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 it is always going to be that mystery as to whether or not he pulled the trigger or someone helped him, you know? And I think I think you're right. I think in terms of many people at that time, that was, that was you know, for, for me, when John Lennon was assassinated, I felt like I grew up overnight. I remember going to bed that night and waking up the next day not feeling like a teenager anymore. I felt like, oh my gosh, if this can happen to John Lennon, you know, it didn't make sense. I think for I think for a lot of fans of Nirvana, the time, I'm, I'm guessing, I think the same impact, you know, it kind of it makes you age a wee bit, right? Yeah, for sure. Cynthia's younger sister was a youngest sister was a Nirvana fan, and she was devastated. She was still a teenager when that happened. 
And same thing, I think she felt exactly what you're describing. Just that sense all of a sudden of reality and of uh, of growing up, but uh, big mystery. And there's been a push on to try to reopen the case, uh, but I don't think the police will. I think they're pretty determined to leave it as a suicide, so who knows? But there's been several books written about it, a couple of documentaries. There's a good one called Kurt, uh, Kurt and Courtney. Not bad to watch. Bit on the low budget side, but still okay. Uh, I've not read any of the books. I don't. I can't remember. David Grohl doesn't have a lot of good things to say about Courtney Love, if I remember correctly. Uh, no, they're not. Uh, it's not a mutual admiration society. <laughs> well, that, and that was the other weird thing was that the week he committed suicide, she just happened to release a, a, a new album uh, with her band called Hole. Yes. And the album was called Live Through This which is kind of prophetic or whatever you want to call it. You know what I mean? Like it's... Yeah, uh, and Grohl, uh, years later, did confirm that Nirvana was looking like they were going to split up anyway. So, very, very interesting time. Well, all those bands split up, except for Pearl Jam. And Pearl Jam turned into kind of an American Nickelback. But, um, boy, we're going to get letters on that one. Oh, for (laughs) sure. (laughs) May not want to play those voicemails. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I welcome them. I welcome them. That's right. I love Pearl Jam, I really do, but they're not grunge anymore, folks. I mean, let's face it, the grunge movement, like the original punk movement with the Pistols and the Clash, all those things end, you know? And you can call Nirvana punk, but it wasn't punk, it was grunge or rock, you know? So, but all those bands split up, so, and look look, look at David Grohl these days. I mean, really, Foo Fighters is not exactly grunge. No, exactly. You know, and he's, he's everyone's favorite uncle. I mean, he pops up on every... Document. He oh, he's everywhere. He's, he's everywhere. everywhere. It's incredible. It's like, <laughs> oh, David Grohl. <laughs> Even with Ringo Starr, he's on the new Ringo Starr EP. I mean, come oh, on. there you go. He is. He is. You know, I think Tony. What, what's interesting? I just want to kind of. I don't know if you find this interesting, but when Kurt Cobain committed suicide, do you know what the top five albums were in the U.S.? Well, I was going to ask you about that, yeah, because you're uh, you're big into the charts. So, what were the top five albums? So it's very interesting because number five. <laughs> so I'm trying to me to laugh. Number five was Yanni Live at the Acropolis. 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 Oh my gosh. Number four. The, uh, the Greek community is going to uh, have your head for butchering that last <laughs> that, that word. That word. Maybe we can edit it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I wasn't laughing at the Acropolis. I was laughing at the fact it was Yanni. But anyways. Um, oh, I, yeah. <laughs> from the where is he now category. Uh, number four was soundtrack to Above the Rim. Number three was Ace of Bass, the sign. Oh, I had that album. Yep. Did you really? How was the I, whole, I, I loved that song. Yeah. I love the song, but I never heard the whole album. Was it good? Yeah, yeah it was all right. Oh, cool. That was one of the stronger efforts on the album, but yeah. Yeah, and number two was an album that I have still, Bonnie Raitt, uh, Longing in Their Hearts. Now, I love Bonnie Raitt. Uh, you, you know, she opened up, my daughter saw Mark Knopfler from Dire Straits in New York City just before the lockdown, and she opened for him. Oh, wow. Yeah, great double bill. Uh, and number one was Pantera, uh, the heavy metal band. Far Beyond Driven. Nirvana was at number 70. It had been number one before, then it kind of went back at the charts because of the death. And just just because I like to say this, number 104? Oh, yeah. Barney's Greatest Hits. You know, <laughs> Yanni or Barney? I'm going to go with Barney, but there oh, we go. Oh, <laughs> my. Uh, were you, uh, do you remember the Saturday Night Live sketch? Uh, so Barney the Big Purple Dinosaur, folks. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
Do you remember there was a Saturday Night Live sketch with uh, Barney and Michael Jordan playing basketball? Yes. Did you see that one? <laughs> Jordan's like elbowing Barney, yeah. taking him out. Yeah. <laughs> it was fantastic. That's great. <laughs> For, for a whole generation of parents, that was uh, sweet, sweet justice watching Barney take an elbow from Michael Jordan, you know? I took my youngest, my eldest daughter, we took her to see Barney uh, at the Sky Dome. Well, my condolences, sir. Thank you. It was, <laughs> it was surreal. It's the only word I can use. <laughs> I, again, I apologize for the Pearl Jam joke, guys. And Yanni, I love you. And uh, Greece, great country. Sorry I couldn't say Acropolis. <laughs> well, Aaron, you know, since we're in Seattle, let's grab a cup of coffee. I'll pull over here, and uh, we should uh, head back to 1964 as well, and we're going to go cross-country to New York City. So do you want to tune the radio, 196.4? I will. Are you okay to drive, though? That's a long drive, man. Well, you know what? We'll take turns. Okay. <laughs> vacation really let yourself go go hertz class with a new chevrolet or other fine car you'll see things you've never seen before do things you've never done before hertz lets you change the pace completely go where you want when you want if you wish take up to 20 months to pay with the new hertz revolving credit plan so why hold yourself back you get a rest while hertz does the rest Well, here we are in uh, 1964. Boy, that was uh, quite the drive, but we made it. But you were mentioning uh, something about 1949 a few minutes ago. What was that? Well, I just want to say that you found a parking spot right... Man, you're good. You're gold. Good driver. Um, March 31st, 1949. Do you know what happened that day? Is this March connects, 31st, This 49. connects to what I'm going to talk about. Yeah, March 31st, 1949. I am not sure. The very first 7-inch 45 single was released oh. by RCA Records, and it was by Eddie Arnold, called uh, Texarkana Baby, and it had the same song on both sides. But up until then, singles were 78 RPM, and they were made of shellac, and they would break so easily. This was the first 7-inch single, pressed on vinyl, released 1949, March, 3rd, March 31st, 1949. And that's important because we're going to go visit a place called Billboard Magazine, Tony. You've heard of Billboard, right? Of course. The standard. The standard for charts. And on April 5th, 1964, something very odd happened. Do you know what happened? Well, I do know what happened. It's really <laughs> exciting. But I think uh, because you are the Beatles guy, I'm going to let you describe that because what a fantastic day. You know, it's right down my alley. April 5th, 1964, on the Billboard Singles Charts. Number five was a group called The Beatles with Please Please Me. Number four was The Beatles with I Want to Hold Your Hand. Number three was She Loves You by The Beatles. Number two was Twist and Shout by The Beatles. And number one was Can't Buy Me Love by The Beatles. But what's even more incredible mm-hmm. is that in the top 100, they had seven other songs charted. They had I, I Saw Her Standing There at 31. 
from me to you at 41. Do you want to know a secret at 46? All my loving, 58. You can't do that. 65. Roll over Beethoven. And what's interesting about Roll over Beethoven, Tony, that wasn't released as a single in the U.S. That was from sales of a Canadian import. Isn't that wild, eh? Amazing. And number 79 was Thank You, Girl. And, you know, to put this record in perspective, uh, we were chatting about this, but... It drives me crazy a little bit now when um, Billboard or someone else will come out and trumpet the fact that some group or some some artist just broke one of the Beatles' records. But to me, they're not breaking the record because the Beatles' records were based on actual physical units moved. Right. right? Sales. Sales. That's Sales. right. That's yeah. right. Units sold. Whereas it's not, you can't count streaming into there. And that's what they're doing, right? They're saying, oh, so-and-so you know, just broke a Beatles record because their song streamed so many times. But that's ridiculous because, um, well, do you know what the most uh, streamed Beatles song is? Um, Here Comes the Sun? Yeah, Here Comes the Sun by Harrison. It's, uh, they figure it, it's at least 350 million streams now. But you know what I mean? Like, that would break every record there is if you counted that as sales. Well, and, and a stream is not a sale. For example, I could play you a song on a stream to say, Tony, listen how bad this is. <laughs> it's not because I like it, but it goes into the chart calculation. So recently Drake had the top three singles on Billboard because of people streaming. Okay, well that's grand. Good for him. But it's not, you, they should have two separate charts. They should have the regular singles chart and the streaming chart because it's two different things. The stream does, you know, yeah. yeah, you know what this reminds me of, and you're a baseball guy. This reminds me of the whole Maguire and Sosa era, doesn't it? Oh, you know? 110 percent, 110. Yeah, I, I mean these guys are juicing with streaming, and uh, and the records are are pretty meaningless, if you ask me. That's what I used to love. Did you ever watch the ball games? And every time a uh, a Rod would go up to bat, they would hold up asterisks, like little asterisks. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I divert since we're in New York uh, for a quick a Rod story? Oh, of course. I'm, yeah, I'm a baseball guy, of course. Okay, so I went to see uh, the Yankees against the Indians at uh, Yankee Stadium. Really? Yep. And, um, and of course, A-Rod was awful that day. Went 0 for 4, okay? <laughs> uh, Yankees were down in the ninth. He had gone 0 for 4 on the day, just stunk out the place. Yankees mount a comeback. Bases loaded. Guess who steps up to the plate? A-Rod. Yeah. Can you guess what he did? Either he, I'm guessing he struck out as opposed to fly out. No, he grand slammed it. Did he really? Yep. Son and, of a gun. And he had he had been awful all day. But you know what was interesting is you knew he was going to do that. I mean, you yeah. could just feel it in the park, the electricity in that stadium. And I guess yeah. that's why he was paid those kind of dollars, because when it counted, he, he did that kind of stuff. But I'll remember that moment forever i think it was just unbelievable I, I can only imagine i can only imagine what the crowd sounded like when that happened yeah. I, can, I can only imagine being in that crowd at that time it must have been just amazing yeah it was absolutely amazing and electric and and like i said you just knew it was going to happen yeah, it, yeah. it was like a foregone conclusion okay here comes a rod and and bam just if I, i'm trying to remember it, was, it could have been the first pitch too first or second pitch i mean he just you know, sealed the deal. And that poor pitcher's what I dope. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, what else do you say? Just dope. Uh, yeah. So this uh, this Beatles feat, in my mind, will probably never be duplicated. And uh, I I disregard 
like you say, I've got, you know, utmost respect to an artist who gets millions of streams, of course, but uh, it's not the same as occupying the top five spots on the charts with physical sales. Because people, people had to go outside, walk to a record store, take a bus, drive, and physically buy those records. And, you know, as, as my lovely daughter Linda will say, you know, you buy the single, I want to hold your hand, you listen to it a hundred times, like I've done, that's, you get the one sale on the chart. But if you like Drake, and you listen to it a hundred times on Spotify, you're giving it 11 plays on Spotify, which puts it up the chart. So it's, it's, you can't compare the two stats. It's just, it's, why don't you compare goals in a hockey game to, you know, touchdowns in a football game? It's just, it's silly. Yeah, exactly. I agree. So maybe they need to, you know, relook at like the modern era charts versus some kind of, you know, oh, album era. I have a or question something. for you. Do you know the only band that's come close to the Beatles? I mean, I, if I had to hazard a guess, no. I, the Stones, okay. but so the, I don't the know. The Bee Gees hold their own distinct record, which was they had four number one singles off of one album, and no other artist, including the Beatles, ever did that. Oh, wow. So Saturday Night Fever had four number I, ones. I was going to say it had to be Saturday Night Fever. <laughs> well, sure. going to be one. It wasn't Spirit Song Flowed. <laughs> no. But, um, yeah, Saturday Night Fever, and, and they had uh, four. Even Michael Jackson only had two number ones from Thriller the largest selling album of all time, but the other singles made top 10, but they didn't make number one. So it's just interesting. I, I find this stuff, you know, so the Bee Gees are kind of in the same, I don't think anyone's going to have four number ones off an album again, too, to be honest with you. No, I don't think so. Um, well, I don't think enough people are buying albums, period, no. for it to happen again either. No. So no. so there you go. Uh, yeah, I, I often have had this discussion with uh, uh, kids in class because you know i teach music classes at the high school and um yeah the al- the idea of an album is is a little bit lost on them you know they just don't don't get it but you made them listen to you didn't make them but you give them assignment where they had to listen to an album from beginning to, by the beatles if i remember correctly right yep with no distractions they had no phones nothing they had to put everything away no multitasking i'm air ta- air quoting these the word multitasking because that is the biggest uh, silliness there is but uh yeah, they had to just listen. Did Nothing they, else. Did they? Did anyone give you feedback that they really enjoyed that? Actually, most of them loved it. Yeah, I, I, it's like a whole new experience for them, right? Yeah, a whole new they experience. said it, yeah. it was very, very cool. Yeah, and I and I did the same thing with them. I listened to Revolver that day and uh, totally just you know nothing else. Just and and it's amazing what you hear. Oh, because the Beatles were such geniuses at slipping things into their songs. Yeah, just some multi-layered. And, and, and for those of you wondering why we went to New York to talk about this, it's because that's where Billboard magazine is located. We were up front of, we, we drove to Billboard magazine, which, believe it or not, Tony, started printing charts in 1894. Oh, that's incredible. Before records. They used, to, they used to chart sales of sheet music. That's how they determined to hit, how many, sheet, how many copies of sheet music was sold by a certain composer. Yeah, that used to be the dominant uh, driver for music sales before the record era. Before the 45, yeah. The 45 changed everything. So there you go. The Beatles, the top five. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty excellent. Well, my friend, you know what time it is, though. It's Uh, time for us to uh, head back to the future. I know, um, I'm nervous. And find out what the kids are listening to today. Well, you know what? I'm going to give you a little heads up because I'll send you the link in a second. But... I think, actually, you're going to like this one. 
I actually really like it. I decided to be charitable tonight and uh, pick one that I think is actually pretty excellent. So I'll get your thoughts in a minute. Are you ready for it, sir? I'm so ready. So ready. I'm so excited. Yes. Okay. So back to the present we go. And so that was Bruno Mars with Anderson, and I'm not sure if you say Dot Pack or just Anderson Pack, and Silk Sonic, and a song that I actually really, really like um, called Leave the Door Open. And I'm a big 70s soul guy, and that just took me back. So when I heard that, I thought, I'm going to give you that one to listen to. That's fa- It's a fantastic song. It, it really is very retro. Um, Bruno Mars is... I, you know, I saw him with my daughter, took, took my daughter to see Bruno Mars um, when he toured for the second album. I love Bruno Mars, and I love that song. So thank you very much. You were very kind to me. Yeah, well, you know what I thought for the inaugural one? I would, uh, besides, I just couldn't, I couldn't bring myself to uh, put something like Cardi B on. Sorry, I just, just couldn't, you know. Don't be sorry. <laughs> no, I really like that. I, I, I love the production. I would buy that single. And I see that's something yes, I would go so would I. It's really good. Really good. It's song. a fantastic song. The harmonies are exquisite and uh, just the whole vibe and you know, even the outfits, right? They're oh, they're perfect. They're well, the video, kicking man. it old school. Yeah. yeah. Love it. Love it. Yeah, me too. So that's what the kids with taste at least are listening to today the other ones are listening to cardi b and all those other ones yeah, but uh, no thanks. but, that was but good. you know what uh yeah put this one on the spotify playlist for sure uh, for this week uh, absolutely I'm gonna, i think the spotify playlist is going to be a, a treat because we're going to have some grunge and some 64 and some some pretty cool soul music so so yeah it's going to be on there Oh, excellent. And, uh, well, you know what, Aaron, that was uh, a terrific road trip. And, um, I really enjoyed that. It was fun to go back to Seattle and, uh, you know, I picked up a bag of coffee while we were there. So why don't we, uh, go stop by my place and, uh, I'll, ro- I'll put these beans in the grinder and we can check out my espresso machine. I just got it. You don't have to twist my arm for that. Let's go. All right. Sounds good. Music for today's episode of the Wayback Music Machine podcast was written by Rick Denis. The show notes, chart selection, and Spotify playlist were created by Aaron Badgley. And the artwork, recording, editing, and sound production was done by Tony Stewart. If you enjoyed today's episode, please be sure to tell a friend or two. And don't forget to click follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast player to get the latest episodes automatically. And we'd love it if you would leave us a review. You can also engage with the show by going on our website and leaving us a voicemail. We may even play your voicemail on an upcoming episode. Thanks for taking this road trip with us, and we'll see you next time on the Wayback Music Machine Podcast. Hey, turn the radio up. I love this song. The Wayback Music Machine podcast is a Stewie Tunes production. It's not just business, it's personal. And Signature Theatre's new musical, No Place to Go. When dedicated employee George discovers his company is relocating to Mars, he must decide whether to go and uproot his family's life or embark on an unknown venture. Featuring DC star Bobby Smith, No Place to Go is an irreverent and humorous musical with an enterprising twist. Now playing at Signature Theatre through October 16th. Get your tickets at sigtheatre.org.